You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, Too Good to Not Be True. Enjoy. I want to have a Christmas meal right now. We're going to receive God's love for us. It makes us whole. It strengthens us. It changes our whole lives. It transforms us. And ever since I can remember, since I was a, a little guy, I, I would love this time of the year. And I didn't grow up in a home that knew Jesus. It was kind of a crazy place, a lot of pain and fighting there. But man, it seemed like at this time of the year, at least everyone tried a little harder to maybe be kind every now and then <laughs> or to be a little nicer. And it wasn't until I had gotten older, I was about 19 years old, and, and I wasn't living at home at that point, and I started reading the Bible in the book of John. And I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that was the first time, and I remember that was in the springtime of, of 1989. And I remember that Christmas time was unlike any Christmas I had ever experienced. I remember being in a store and hearing uh, Christmas songs being sung. And I heard the words because I had been reading the Bible and studying the scriptures. And I thought, what? Wow. Like joy to the world we just sang. No more let sins and sorrows reign. What is that all about? You see, when I, I well, I, I started to understand it because you see in the scriptures, can we put that up there, that first uh, stanza there? No more let sin and sorrows reign. Look at that scripture, or that scripture, that verse, which is really from scripture. What does that have to do? Uh, that says grow. The, the version I know says no more let sin and sorrows reign. Why, why would that, that lyricist put those words in there? Because I learned from studying the scriptures that Satan is the God of this world. Isn't that a cheery Christmas thought? Huh? Ooh, Satan's the God of this world. But it's true. And sin and sorrow are reigning in this earth. I learned from the scriptures that Satan stole the sovereignty over the earth that God gave to man. And he's stealing, killing, and destroying every day. But I also learned that through faith in Christ, he can no longer do that in your life if you'll speak the word of God with your mouth and believe it in your heart. So through faith in Christ, Satan is put under our feet. So no more let sin and sorrows reign because Christ has came. He defeated the sin problem. I learned that through faith in Christ, I received a new nature. That sin no longer had a hold on me. That God took my sins and put them on his son Jesus and he gave me his righteousness. Go to the next line of that song. Nor thorns infest the ground. What's that all about? Well, I learned that, that the, the earth is under a curse by reading the Bible. Isn't that something? It's actually a fallen world that's falling apart. It's really a lousy place to live. Boy, who is this cheery Christmas pastor, right? <laughs> well, I wish I would have went somewhere, right? It's, it's really a, a falling apart place. And it's under the curse of sin. See, God, God never wanted thorns in the earth. He never wanted you to have to use Scott's treatments. He didn't. Crabgrass is not from him. Weeds are not from him. Things changed when sin hit the earth. The earth, some scientists believe the earth shifted on its axis. Everything changed. And it says no more, uh, nor thorns infest the ground. Jesus wore a crown of thorns on his head. Why? He bore the curse of sin for us. And I learned that through faith in Christ, the curse of sin was no longer active in my life. 
He came to set you free from the curse of sin so that you can live in this fallen world blessed and whole and prosperous in Jesus' name. Isn't this amazing? But then the more I started to read this and believe it and see it in my own life, I realized there's a whole lot of people that don't know this. Believers and unbelievers that don't realize what Christ has done for them, that he took their sins, gave them his righteousness, that he bore the curse of sin so that the devil could be under their feet and they can live victoriously in this life. I I was amazed by the amount of people I saw that didn't uh, know that Christ came to give them abundant life right now. And I'll tell you, going through the motions of Christmas all the lights and the wrapping, the gifts, without experiencing Christ, without having a personal intimacy with Christ, it's like going to a restaurant and not eating. It really is. I've never done that. In my, well, unless I was fasting, but. <laughs> when I go to a restaurant, I'm planning on eating. Right? I'm planning on eating. Look at Psalm 34, verse 8. We're going to eat this morning. Can we have a Christmas meal? Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste. This is an invitation for you today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, why in the world would such a simple statement appear in the Bible like that? Why would God have to invite us to experience his goodness? Because the goodness of God is not a foregone conclusion in many people's lives. It's the most obvious thing there is, is how good God is. But people have believed things and been told things about God that are simply not true. Certainly Satan and spirits of darkness will tell people that God is condemning them and that, that, that God brought that sickness in their life to teach them something or God caused that tragedy in their life because he had some divine purpose. Sometimes preachers tell people those things because they're, they're ignorant of the goodness of God. But I found when I looked at Jesus, I found a God who was perfect, a God who had never hurt me. A God who would never harm me. A God who would never leave me. Who would never turn his back on me. So I want to invite you to do something crazy. I want to ask you from this, from this day forward. Are you ready? You got your seatbelts on? I want to ask you to completely turn your eyes away from religion. And fix them on the real Jesus. The Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. First five books of the New Testament. And something radical happens when you put aside the things that maybe a church that you belong to told you or man's theology tells you, and you look at the ministry of Jesus, you'll discover a love that you've been waiting for your whole life. You'll discover that God is infinitely better than you've imagined. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, it's too good to be true? Well, living in this world and dealing with people and business transactions, maybe, maybe that phrase can be applied, you know, like the infomercial with the, the blender that does everything for $9.99. It's too good to be true, right? It mows your yard, it dresses your kids, all this, right? But when we're talking about God, he's too good to not be true. He's too good to not be true. 
His promises are too good to not be true. And the message translation of this very same verse, if we can put that up there, the message says, open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Wow. So this requires a conscious decision on our part. Because we're living in a not good world with not good situations and circumstances around them, with not good things people are doing with not good things that the, that the earth is just like tragedies and tornadoes and storms. So we've got to consciously decide to focus on Christ, to live the abundant life he came to give for us, to open up our mouths and speak his promises over our lives, to open up our eyes and see how good he is. The New Century Version says this, examine, I like that, examine and see how good the Lord is. When you examine something, you inspect it, right? You investigate it. You study it. You check it out. Check Jesus out from today and every day. Fall. I'm talking, just make examining and investigating and checking him out the, the focus of your day. Learning how good he is. Nothing will change you more than the goodness of God. Nothing will cause your life to be transformed more than by knowing how much he loves you. I mean, he's so good that he has provided through his son a salvation that covers every area of your life, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, materially, financially. So we're going to examine him a little bit more this morning, all right? I mean, I tried to prepare some sophisticated Christmas homily, but I, this is what I got. You know, I, 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 I've tasted of them. Like, I'm never going to be the same. So I'm just going to give you some Jesus. I'm not interested in being good for goodness sake. Anybody else with me on that? You better be good for goodness sake. No, thanks. I'm not interested in it. I need a whole lot more than some seasonal kindness in my life because when the lights are taken down, the presents have been opened, I'm in the middle of next year. I need something that's powerful and real that's not of this world. Something that the batteries don't run out. I don't have to take back and get go to this. I need a real joy that's going to take me all the way. And that's Jesus. That's knowing how much he loves me. It's knowing how good he is. It's knowing what he's done for me. It's knowing who I am in him. So Christmas magic doesn't cut it. I'm not knocking Santa, but Christmas magic doesn't cut it, right? Now, let's, let's be honest. Taste and see the Lord is good. Examine. I know that, you know, Santa, it, it, it's an it's a imaginary story based off of Saint Nick. But if we're honest, most people and most Christians think of the figure Santa Claus as more benevolent, more jolly, and more kind than God. Really? Stop and think about that. They think of Santa, they think of rosy cheeks and jolly laughter. They think of God and they think of 
Right? It's not true. God, God doesn't have a naughty and nice list. Santa does. Santa's performance-based. You notice that? God's not. Yeah. God's infinitely better than Santa Claus. Infinitely better. God is not watching everything you do throughout the year and, and, and totaling up how many naughty things you did and how many nice things you did and then, you know, s figuring out the difference and then, okay, maybe, maybe they, I can give them a little something on Christmas Day. He doesn't do that. God qualified you for all that he has when he gave you his son, Jesus. So what's God doing? He's, he's, he's looking at your life saying, how can I bless them? How can I strengthen them? How can I get them to realize how much I love them? How can I open the eyes of their heart so that my healing power can flow through their body? That's what God is doing. Doesn't have a crystal ball, doesn't have a naughty and nice list, doesn't need any reindeer, doesn't have any elves. He's, he's a loving father. He's got the Holy Spirit and he's got his word and that's all you need. Hallelujah. You know what God wants to give you? Rest. Peace. Wholeness. Prosperity. Not rules to follow. Not requirements to live up to. Rest. I'll say that again because most people don't know this. They're afraid to even begin coming to God because they think, okay, what, what rules am I going to have to follow? What requirements do I have to, to live up to in order to even come to Him? He's not like that. He's a loving Father. He's jolly. He's happy in His presence, His fullness of joy. He's smiling. When you think of Him, you should see a smile because I guarantee you He's smiling and nothing can take that smile away. He loves you. And, and he's not looking for you to, to fulfill a list of rules or to meet a, a, a list of criteria and requirements. He wants you just to come to him as you are and receive his love for you. Amen. So this is what we're doing. Now remember, we turned our eyes away from religion. I had a lot of it in my life, and I've turned away from it, and I'm never going back. And we're fixing our eyes on Jesus because what's tomorrow? Tomorrow's Christmas, right? And what do we think of Christmas? We think of the manger. We think of a baby in the manger. But I really, in order to really appreciate the baby in the manger, you have to know why the baby came. We're talking about the goodness of God, examining and seeing how good he is. And if you want to know why the baby came, you've got to look at the adult life of Jesus and his ministry in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts. Can we do that? Let's do that right now. Let's examine how good God is. Let's really appreciate this Christmas season. Let's really appreciate this amazing gift that God's Son would lay down His godliness and His glory and be wrapped in human flesh, born in a virgin, born of a virgin and born in a manger. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at the ministry of Jesus, not as a baby. He didn't have a ministry as a baby. He started His ministry when He was about 30 years old. And in the ministry of Jesus, you'll see the love and goodness of God on display. Luke chapter 4. How are we doing? Good? We awake? Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Luke chapter 4. This is the adult Jesus talking. 
If it was the baby Jesus, he'd probably say, but this is the adult Jesus, right? So he's, he's fully articulate at this point. Oh, he's probably about 30 years old right now. And the first thing he does, he went to the temple regularly. And, he, and the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him, and he reads it out loud because he's the fulfillment of it. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. You got your religious, religious goggles off, right? Your religious headphones are off. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach. There's that word again. Good. What is it with God and goodness? He wants you to know how good he is. To preach good news to who? To the poor. Now, religion comes in and says, well, you know, that doesn't mean financially poor, maybe spiritually poor. I mean, he's not, come on, he's not concerned about their finances. The first thing out of Jesus' mouth was finances in his ministry. Good news to those who are financially lacking. Wow. This same word in the Greek that Jesus used here in verse 18 is the same word when he talked about the poor widow who put in only two mites in the offering. It's the same Greek word that he used when he talked to the rich young ruler and he said, go and distribute all you have to the, to the poor. Those who are financially without, those who are financially lacking. The first thing out of Jesus' mouth when he began his ministry was good news to those who are financially struggling. And religion has stolen this truth from so many. In fact, I saw a survey that CBS did online, and they were looking for the leading cause of stress. And guess what? The number one leading cause was cited in their survey. Finances. Money. If God is good, how could he be good and not be concerned about your financial life? Come on. How could he be good and not want you to prosper? Religion has said, well, now we don't need material things. There are some religious denominations that make their ministers take a vow of poverty. Jesus came to defeat poverty. Can you imagine taking a vow to the very thing Christ came to, to bore for you? How backwards is that? I'm not trying to fault anyone. I'm just saying religion has twisted this thing and got it all wrong. We're going to keep your finger in Luke. We're going to look at a couple. We're coming back to Luke because we're going to look at the rest that he said. But what about that? Do you need material things? Yes. Are we being unspiritual in saying that? Are we being ungodly? Look what Jesus said. Put up Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, 32 and 33. Look what he said. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. According to God the Father, you need cars, you need clothes, you need homes, you need socks, you need an Apple TV. You need, <laughs> you need material things. This, I know this rocks the religious world, but it's true anyway. Jesus said, your Father knows you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things... God wants to add things to you. Wow. All these things shall be added to you. And no sorrow with it. My, oh, my. Can, can I share another one with you regarding the goodness of God in our finances? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. We're going back to Luke in a minute here. says, for you know the what? The judgment? 
The what? The wrath? The what? The grace. We preach the grace of Jesus Christ here. That's the gospel. It is a gospel of grace, and it has been all but forgotten in so many churches. It's a gospel of grace, and we preach it here. God loves you because he loves you, period. And no one can change that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was what? Rich. Yet for your sakes, he became poor so that you could both be poor together. No. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If you're being scriptural and keep this in the context, it's talking about moolah, denaro, money, yen, whatever you want to call it, euro, euro. <laughs> That's what it's talking about. Now, apparently, if you look at the scriptures, if you look at Joseph and Mary, I don't know if it's because they were traveling or maybe they were poor. But you, we can tell that because if you look in Luke, the way they brought their offering to the temple and they brought two turtle doves or pigeons, which was the, the, the prescribed offering for a poor family. They couldn't afford the lamb or the offering. But after Jesus came into their life, they became rich. Now, this might shock you, but it's okay. You're used to it, right? Years ago, I heard an entrepreneur from Australia speak, Peter Daniels. Tremendous testimony this man had. When he was a child, he was labeled brain dead. They said he's never going to amount to anything. He's never going to learn anything. And he, he ended up just doing whatever he could do. He, he ended up working, uh, found a job. But he, in his adult life, he heard Billy Graham preach. And I think this was in Australia or New Zealand, I forget. And he heard, he heard him preach, and he heard that through faith in Christ, you become the son of a king. And he believed it, and he put his faith in Christ, and his whole life changed. And he went around his town with a dictionary, and he asked people because he didn't know how to read. He said, what's this word say? What's that word say? And he taught himself how to read. And today the man is a, is a billionaire. He's sought after by the United Nations and around the world. But I heard this man speak, and he said, uh, what he did, he has a Rolls Royce, and on the back of it it says, son of a king. <laughs> well, he has many Rolls Royce, but... This is, so this is what he said, and I don't know how long ago he did this, but he, he commissioned a committee of archaeologists and sociologists to study the wise men in the scriptures. He says, I want to know the monetary value of the gifts they brought to Jesus. Because religion teaches that, you know, they came, one had a little, this little thing, little thing, they laid these little things down at Jesus, baby Jesus' feet, you know. But he, 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 as they, they studied it out, the, the times, the, the customs of the times, the origin of these, we don't know how many men came, by the way. The scripture doesn't say. Tradition teaches three, but we don't know that. And it says magi, or wise men, right? And we don't know exactly when they showed up. From the scriptures, it looks like it may not have been the night of his birth. Could have been anywhere between that and one or two years old. We don't know, because they came into the house. Or that house, I don't want to get that, could be also the outer part of the the manger. But anyway, we don't know exactly when they showed up. But he said, and, and if you'll study the, the customs of the day, these men would have traveled with an entourage. And who knows how long their journey was, but these men obviously were very wealthy. And I don't want to give you the monetary figure, it'll blow your mind, but it was a fortune that they brought to Jesus. A fortune with many zeros. They, they put at the, 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 something happened in their hearts. They got a revelation of what was happening. The, the, the king was being born. The Messiah was being born. And they brought unto him uh, treasures. And they loaded him with treasures. 
And from that point on, things were different in Mary and Joseph's life. Proverbs 10.22, we cited this verse earlier. We're going back to Luke. Hang on. The blessing of the Lord, Proverbs 10.22, let's put that up there. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. See, it's funny. People will criticize you and say, why are you talking about money in church? You must have a problem with money. Actually, the problem is with money is when you don't talk about it. If you have a problem with money, you don't want to talk about it because you're afraid of it, right? There's fears involved. There's insecurities. When, you're, when you have no problem with money, you talk about it. It has no hold on you anymore, right? The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he has no sorrow with it. Psalm 34, verse 10. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no... There's that word again. No good thing. Wow, God wants you to prosper. All right, now let's go back to Luke chapter 4. It's good to talk about money on Christmas. You need money during Christmas, don't you? Believe God for whatever it is you need. He's a God that's concerned about every area of your life. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Wow. Freedom, riches, goodness, liberty, sight, healing. Look at verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is he referring to, if you know the scriptures? The year of Jubilee. Okay? Now, in the Old Testament, every 50th year was a year of Jubilee. It was the year when all debts were canceled. When property was returned, property that you may have lost due to debts was returned to you. Where, where servants and slaves were set free. He said, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, but he wasn't talking about a 365-day period of time. He's talking about the season between his resurrection and when he comes again. The Amplified says it this way, to proclaim the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. We're in that day now. How was the craft, kids? Good? What'd you guys make? Can you hold it up for me? Can you show me? Oh, it's over there. That's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, sweetie. Is it Veronica? Did I get it right? Veronica? What'd you make, Veronica? Hold it up. Let me see it. Did I say it wrong? I said it right. Okay. Is that a snowman? It kind of looks like me a little bit, huh? I like that. Good, dude. Good job. Snowbody loves you like Jesus. I like that. It's your snowbody, right? That's awesome. God is good. Um, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. So gee, this is the beginning of his ministry. He hasn't done anything yet. He's standing up. He declares who he is, and then he demonstrates it. Let's look at him demonstrating that we'll be done. Matthew chapter 4. So he, he declares, this is who I am. This is why I've came. And then, he, and, and then he goes out and he does it. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. It says, and Jesus went about. This is, this is his method of operation. All Galilee, all Galilee doing three things teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's what gospel means, good news. And healing. 
Three things he does. Teaching, preaching, and healing. He hasn't changed. He's the same today. Teaching, preaching, and healing. All manner of sickness. That includes anything you might be dealing with. Right? He's the same today. All manner of sickness. And all manner of disease among the people. I don't know how long or how often I meditate on that verse, but it's a lot. Because I had a lot of issues physically. And I meditated on that verse to... to, to inbred into my heart and mind that whatever I got, Jesus bore. And by meditating on that verse, I received healing from everything. Well, that verse and several others. I began to receive healing and walk in a health that I had never had before. All manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Verse 24, And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic. That's mental illness. God is concerned with any area. If, if your wholeness is troubled in any area, God has provided the, the remedy for it. Amen. Through Jesus. Mental illness, it doesn't matter. And those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Why? Because he loves you. Amen. Love and healing go together. If anyone ever tells you God put that sickness in your life to teach you something, just don't listen. You be polite, but just keep on walking. That's someone who doesn't know how good God is. If someone ever told you that God brought that tragedy into so-and-so's life or God took your loved one because he had a, a better plan, don't ever listen. God doesn't take people's lives away. He's the author of life, not the taker of life. He has a good plan for your life and for your loved ones. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. We're examining, aren't we? We're examining the goodness of God. I encourage you to do this in your own lives. After this service this week, get this podcast. It's free. Go to highwaychurch.us. It'll be available. should be available. Well, let's see. Monday's Christmas. Maybe Tuesday. Tuesday by lunchtime. And just listen to this over and over. And go over the scriptures. Meditate on it. Become strong in God's love for you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast the spirits, excuse me, he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. What's he doing? Demonstrating what he said in Luke chapter 4. Verse 17. So that the word of Isaiah the prophet might come true. He himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You know, it was uh, last night, and boy, symptoms started to come upon me. And I was laying in bed. And I knew enough to know, wait a minute, uh-uh, you're not allowed in my life. No, no. You know, like the chills, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my lunch kind of thing. No. You're not going to be able to preach tomorrow. And I didn't even get out of bed. I just laid there and said, Jesus, yes. I'm the healed of the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't allow flu. I don't allow it. I don't allow it. I'm the healer of the Lord. And I just dreamed about Jesus. And here I am, feeling good. Feeling good. You got to dream about Jesus. Dream about Jesus this Christmas season. See yourself whole. See yourself healthy and strong because he bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases mentally, physically, emotionally in every year. Dream about it. Speak it. Sing about it. Thank Him for it. Don't settle for anything less than what He's done for you. Hallelujah. Let's look at at one more. Matthew chapter 9. 
Verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages. This is what he did. Teaching, there it is again, in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease. Um, looks like he has an agenda. What's his agenda? Your wholeness. Your prosperity. Your victory is his agenda. And look at this. Hebrews 13 says this. Jesus Christ is the same. Today. He hasn't changed. Don't listen to anyone who tells you otherwise. They're ignorant. The same Jesus we just read about is in our midst in the person of the Holy Spirit. Receive your healing. Say, what do I have to do to receive healing? Do I have to come up and have someone pray for me? No. Just believe it. Just dream of Jesus. See him bearing your sicknesses and carrying your diseases. And thank him. Say, I receive it, Father, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I receive your wholeness in my body. I receive whatever it is that I need. I receive it. Hallelujah. All right, this is going to be our closing scripture, and I really mean it. We're doing good, actually. You doing okay? How many people are sleeping? All right, only half of you. That's good. Awesome. So if you're awake, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the, the Christmas announcement. We're examining the goodness of God. In Luke chapter 2, angels appear. You know, angels are already always there. It's just with our physical mortal eyes, we can't see them. Unless something supernatural happens. You can have a vision and see into the spirit realm. But normally we don't, right, right now, in this mortal state we're in, right? But before we read what the angels say, I mean, if you want to appreciate how good God is, you got to know the history of Israel. Because <laughs> prior to this announcement, there are about 400 years of what's known as the 400 years of silence. In other words, from the last prophet Malachi of the Old Testament, there's been no great prophetic word for about four centuries. And if you look at the history of, the, of God's people, it's pretty awful. They did horrible things. I mean, for a while, they'd worship him and follow him, and then they'd just rebel against him, and they'd go, they'd begin worshiping other gods. They'd sacrifice their children in the fire like the pagan nations. They would begin doing all these horrible things. I mean, it's not a pretty history. You can read it in the Old Testament. So, I mean, what would you be expecting to hear after thousands of years of rebellion, horrible conduct, gross sin, rejection, and, and, and four centuries of silence, what would you think the first thing God would say to you would be? You've been a bad, bad, bad boy. But that's not what he says. The first thing that God says to them, you'd be expecting wrath, judgment. But no, he's, he, he brings them an announcement in verse number 8, chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and he poured his wrath on them. No, no. but they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Maybe they're remembering the history of their nation. Maybe they knew they did some things they shouldn't have done last week. 
They stole John's sheep or something. I don't know. They're afraid. The glory of God shows up in his presence is fullness of joy and they're afraid. It doesn't compute. See, when you have a wrong concept of God, you'll be afraid of him instead of running to him. God didn't come to judge them. He came to change their lives forever. Verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not. The first words out of, from God after hundreds of years of silence and thousands of years of rebellion, of rebellion is don't be afraid. Boy, does that just melt away. The fears and the worries. Fear not. For taste and see how good I am. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Last thing they expected to hear. Good news of great joy, which is for everybody. You can tell everybody, everyone qualifies. Man, oh man. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Not a condemner. A Savior. Which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a party. A, a heavenly symphony. A multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And saying, glory to God in the highest. And look at this next phrase. And what? On earth. Where do you live? On earth. Peace. Where you live. Peace. And what? Good will toward you. This doesn't compute. But it's the love of God. Good will. Peace. What does the word peace mean? If you've been coming to Highway Church, you should get, begin to know the definition of this word. Wholeness. On earth, wholeness to you. It means wholeness. It means well-being. It means prosperity. Don't be afraid. Rejoice. Glory to God. On earth, wholeness, well-being, prosperity to you. Even though Satan is the God of this world, if you put my, your faith in my son, wholeness is yours. Prosperity is yours. Peace is yours. Goodwill. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6.10? What did he say? He taught us to pray. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done Where? Why would he pray that? On earth as it is in heaven. In heaven there's no interference with God's will. In earth there is. It's God's desire that his will be done on earth in your life just as it is in heaven. But you've got to put your faith in Christ for that to happen. You've got to resist the devil. You've got to say no to his garbage. Right? You've got to say no to his deals. And you say, no, I, I, I refuse to accept anything he has for me. I refuse to be sick any longer. I refuse to be poor any longer. I refuse to be depressed anymore. I refuse to be confused anymore. I refuse to, to feel condemned anymore. I am the healed of the Lord. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. On earth, in your life, 
I came that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. Where? On earth. Now. Today. Isn't this a great Christmas? Yeah, it's time to have a real Christmas in your real life by putting your faith in the real Jesus. Hey! It's the goodness of God that transforms us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So now through simple faith in Jesus, you can tell anyone this, this is for everybody. Through simple faith in Jesus, the good will of God can be experienced in their lives, every day of their life, for the rest of their life. It's too good to not be true. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, we are celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating the birth of your son. He entered earth in the womb of a virgin. He was wrapped in human flesh to become the curse for us, to bear our sins and to bear our sicknesses and our diseases. And Father, we embrace what you've done through your son. We reject wrong ideas of you and, and religious theology that clouds the picture of you and we look to Jesus. And Lord, we are determining that from this day forward, we're gonna know you. And if any thought or idea comes into our lives that's contrary to who you really are, contrary to the goodness that you have displayed and showed us through Jesus Christ, well, we're not gonna accept it. Because you are who you say you are and you've done what you've said you've done. And we put our trust in you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.